0: Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost. Welcome in, shifties. Hey, It's really taking off, isn't it? If you listened to the last episode, you'll know what I'm talking about. Anyways, uh, episode 84 today, and Shane and I are having another conversation about experience, about experiencing God and all of the complexity that comes with that conversation for many of us, whether it's good experiences uh, or, or lack of experiences, uh, the intensity of experiences, the history of experience that we don't know what to do with, the claims about experience or the doubts about experience, the coercion, the manipulation, or the freedom and the um, beauty, you know, all of that uh, can be complex territory to explore. And so that's what we're trying to do, pick our way through some of that and make some sense of it. Because for so many people in their journey of faith and making sense of their faith and making sense of their own story and maybe even um, as they cast a more reflective eye over their own history, uh, over their own story. This is one thing that keeps coming up again and again and again. Uh, What do we do with all of that, especially as our beliefs shift and change, as the narratives and the stories that we tell about those experiences shift and change. So what we're trying to do is provide some, I guess, some way of Reflecting on this, of naming some of the challenges that are present in this space, of talking honest as honestly as possible about our own experiences and about the meaning making that goes on in this. Today, we offer a few reflections coming out of the last episode, based partly just on what we've been thinking about and partly on the feedback that's come in since then. And we also talk a little bit about the 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 notion of suggestibility and the role that that can play. We talk a bit about. What all of this, how all of this relates to what we think about God and where God is or how God interacts with the world or what kind of God we're talking about. Because again, so much of the meaning making that accompanies spiritual experience is meaning making that leaves the experiencer, you and I, uh, with perhaps a set of, of ideas that maybe blame us for lack of experience or... Blame God for withholding experience, right? So we so we want to talk a bit about what all this means about how we think about God as well. So that's what we're doing today. Uh, not a lot else to report other than this episode is a little bit slower getting to you just partly because the sort of never-ending um, project of um, renoing my nirukunad's old place uh, it has been through an intense little patch the last um, couple of weeks, and so there's been lots of noise happening here that has been recording has been quite tricky. So anyway, this conversation comes to you a bit later than is ideal, but that's just the way of it sometimes, isn't it? That's real life. So uh, you can, of course, get in touch, feedback at shift.com If you'd like to uh, flick us a line, you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash shift and throwing us a few bucks a month to help us keep this thing going. Um, other than that... This is episode 84 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. Hello,
1: Shane. Hello. How you doing? Uh, Yep, all right. Mildly grumpy because that's a little... Back's a little sore, so expect these to be some grumpy reflections. But otherwise, fine. How are you? Uh, well, we could finish with
0: a maybe a time of ministry, mm. if, if that would help. That would be great. Yeah. Like are you trying to fix that? my heart attitude or my back or both? Oh, uh, look, the back's just a manifestation of your heart attitude. I think you'll find it's true. Um yep. <laughs> The look, there's two things to say. Uh, firstly, uh, first first thing is, have you had a toasty today?
1: Uh, no toasty today very wow.
0: disorganized day, yeah okay today, so. did you look these are the, I'm, I'm just bringing up two things that, that we got the most feedback on from the last episode uh, yes. yes yes I did have a toasty actually um, excellent
1: it was, it was good thanks so maybe um, if we create a uh, if we ever do end up creating our cult that could be our kind of sacrament the preparation a, 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 yeah of a toasty yeah, yeah for sure yeah,
0: yeah. And, um, and then, you know, and I put out a question on Instagram just in people's toasty toasty recipes.
1: Oh, I, I look, have to say I lost a lot of faith in the quality of our <laughs> – I've lost a lot of respect for some of our listeners with things like cooked pineapple and, and a lot of canned spaghetti, which – I might, I might be having kind of like church camp flashbacks, but uh, I feel a little ill just talking about that.
0: No, I've got a lot of nostalgia for for a cheese and spaghetti sandwich, Ooh. which is an amazing <laughs> it's 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 in like, our relationship. Let's get bread and then put pasta on it, and then put another bit of bread on top. <laughs> that sounds sounds very white, doesn't it? Ah, <laughs> uh, yep. Yeah, okay. So, so look, if it does end up being our sacrament, it might not mm-hmm. be an open table to everybody. Well, that could it be might, the rift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. they could cause a split. a split. That'd be very exciting. Um, the second thing is just absolutely uh, supportive and overwhelming feedback for the shifties. As do these people? To our audience.
1: Do these people have no dignity? No dignity <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> Oh uh, dear, I think they're just doing it to everyone. Irrit- no, everybody, me, every, I'm
0: sure no, it. no, don't don't make more out of yourself than there is. You know, um, <laughs> people just loved being called shifties. That's good. They loved it. I mean, we need a bit of tribalism. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's right. Okay.
1: Well, look, we'll roll with that. Yeah.
0: Okay. Good. I got to go with the people. as a collaborative. Who am I, who
1: am I to um, tell people how and how they how they can and cannot identify themselves? Well, Exactly, and um, mm. sick of you trying to manipulate and pressure and
0: conform our audience <laughs> to your particular personality. I'm
1: just worried about them. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pastoral heart.
0: Uh, okay, so we're talking about experience again. We well, are, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we're just building on the um, conversation we had last time where we really just introed a bunch of the issues. And so we thought this time (laughs) we would just talk about more issues Mm, (laughs) and mm. continue failing to solve anything. But
1: uh, The great thing about episode 83 is that we're past the point now where we need to apologize for droning on and on about things because if people are still here after episode 83 and are annoyed how long it takes for us to talk about anything, I'm sure they would have found a more succinct podcast by now.
0: Yes, I remember when I started this podcast and – the first couple of years, most most of the episodes, I was trying to keep it tight, thirty to forty minutes, <laughs> and I, it was quite succinct, and uh, I was pretty happy with that.
1: This feels like an accusation coming. <laughs> <And> <laughs> no, then. look, <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: then somebody else got involved.
1: <laughs> Just goes
0: on and on. Yeah, we should have uh, brought this up in our team meeting. No, the great no, actually, the great thing about this is that uh, is that I had to work so hard to make those succinct. Uh, and now mm. you just gave me permission to be myself, you know? <laughs> be yourself. And to just yeah. ramble on for much longer. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the kind ramblings,
0: of Frosty the, and Shane. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, all right, so experience. Uh, mm. Just thought I'd start with maybe some things that just we thought of on the back of that last conversation. Because often what happens when we have these conversations is we talk and then afterwards we think, oh, that's made us think
1: about this or we never ended up talking about that. Or, if we were honest though, Michael – nearly every episode afterwards I'm like, did we even talk about anything at all? Like did that <laughs> do we even cover anything important? And it's not until I re-listen to it that I'm like, oh, some of that's useful. So yeah. But then then yeah. I do start thinking. You do about seem it to again. immediately forget everything we've talked yeah, about I as think soon that as we talk about it. That yeah. may be my ADHD flash mm-hmm. memory, which uh, is extremely interested in things that I'm currently doing and apparently has no capacity for things that it's not paying attention to. Look, we'll
0: just put on that, that on the list for the ministry time at the end. Excellent, good. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, we're both wearing glasses, so you're in this too, mate. Oh, I am. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I've been on a few older calls for those. I did like the old, I always liked the old healing ministry for the uh, balding glasses wearing man with bad <laughs> teeth who didn't seem to think that any of those things were necessarily candidates for immediate healing. I do, I do rem- I
0: may have talked. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, actually. But I did uh, a long time ago. But I did go up for healing for my eyes when I was a teenager, and then the he- the traveling healing minister who was in town mm. uh, told told me to walk in faith that the miracle had happened, and so I had to oh. sort of stumble around without my glasses for a- for a day <laughs> or so, <laughs> waiting for waiting for it all to to arrive. Oh dear! And uh, it didn't. So eventually I had to put my glasses back on. Which then, double whammy, mm. I gave I quit before my breakthrough. You know, I
1: could You did quit yeah, before I, you break yeah, through. You I could did. still be like twenty five years later <laughs> walking around like a mole man, <laughs> <laughs> bumping into things, but hanging on in faith. Any yeah. minute now, God Any will minute. be pleased with my persistence. <laughs> exactly. Yep.
0: Uh <laughs> oh, good times. Um, yep. right. We're trying to get to the point. Uh there's a few there's a couple of things that I've been thinking about since our last conversation. Um, One, I guess, comes to just this idea that, um, well, firstly, that just any talk about subjective experience is inherently complicated, which we touched on last time, but I just want to like mention again. And maybe we'll have to mention that every time we talk about this conversation. Because any time we try to talk about any aspect, it sort of ends up in very murky, vague, or... Um, hard to define territory. So that's just kind of a part of the conversation. So if it comes across that way, not our fault for being unclear, it's the topic's <laughs> fault. It's blame the
1: topic. Yeah. But in uh, saying that, it is much better than very confidently being wrong. That's so, true. Exactly. You know, a lot of us have lived through a lot of that. So, you know, yes. at, least, at least we're on the right side of that.
0: I guess I've been thinking about how, um, you know, like, all experience that we that we call spiritual experience right or experience of god is mediated by something and i think this comes up a lot either from people who are advocating for some kind of experience or are critiquing and criticizing any kind of spiritual mm-hmm. experience when there's this kind of belief that there is such a that if there is a god and if we experience that god then that experience is some kind of pure spiritual experience that is a direct mm. kind of portal or interaction yep. between God and us. Yeah. And from the critical perspective, if you can't demonstrate that or prove that or it shows up in your brain or it, or it happened when someone played that E minor, <laughs> then that shows that it wasn't actually a direct spiritual experience and therefore God isn't real and your experience doesn't matter. Mm. Or the other side of it, which is this idea that I had this experience and, um, that means that was definitely God, and all of it was God, and God was doing this thing. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I guess I'm 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 interested in exploring uh, some some different ground than that, which is that mm. by very nature of and we did touch on this last time, but I've just been thinking about it more. By very nature of being embodied human beings in the world, our experience of everything is mediated by that body. Yes, <laughs> uh, By um, by the way, our brains are wired by yeah. The way our neural pathways are formed by the environments mm-hmm. external that we find ourselves in. So there's like external and internal, uh, you know, things going yeah. on that are mediating all of our experiences of everything, including God. And there's no real other way to have any kind of experience. Um, yeah,
1: like, like so. So that kind of deals with the kind of sensory input <laughs> bit, which is our bodies are sensing things. Um, but then the next layer, of course, is is how we narrate those experiences. Mm. So we come at each of those. You know, if you um, poke yourself with a pin, um, you'll feel the sensation of that. <laughs> this is not an instruction. Don't go and do that. Um, but you'll feel that sensation, and then you need to then you need to work out um, how you narrate that experience. Like mm. what what was it that poked you? Why did that happen? So your body's giving you the the pain? feedback information but there's a lot more to that story and you come to that with particular expectations and particular stories and so with the god stuff as well um yeah you feel particular sensations and you need to we are we are inherently meaning making machines as humans Mm. we we try Mm. to describe we try, try to try to ascribe meaning to the experiences that we have and so we often are um, coming to that with pre-narrated stories um, about, about what is happening to us um, that we then kind of filter that through. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, um, I guess it just makes me think about how, um, yeah, but sort of both sides of, of, of that conversation and like, because I was certainly in environments where, I don't know, I remember having a conversation with someone and they were talking about a couple of particular worship songwriters who were and they were just talking about how anointed those particular mm. songwriters were, mm-hmm. and my response was like, mm. "Yes, they are good songwriters, aren't they?" <laughs> because <laughs> I think uh, what what was interesting there though was like different interpretations of like the same thing, right? Yep. Which it, my and maybe this is you know being having experience as a musician, perhaps in in all of these spaces for so long is like recognizing that just because something makes you feel a certain way or invokes a certain response in you doesn't mean we can just say that is some kind of direct God thing that's going on there. Yeah. Um, mm. Now it also doesn't mean there's not a God thing yeah. of some kind Going on there,
1: right? But pa- particular, pa- particular scenarios very much bring that to the fore, such as you know, for some of you might be aware of the kind of um, particular uh, songwriter from a church who uh, <laughs> had a public experience of great unwellness slash um, cancer, uh, and wrote songs about this, which went on albums and were experienced by people around the world as healing experiences, singing about his healing, um, his future healing. Um, And then it was later revealed that this person wasn't actually ill in that way at all, and was probably quite unwell in other ways. Um, And then people had to try and work out what to do with this amazing song about healing from someone who was Effectively pretending to themselves or others to be sick. Um, what to what to, what to do with that? And their experience of that song as very anointed and very powerful. Mm, and people mm. reporting having healings through mm. listening to that song and mm. the great faith that was shown. And that being an amazingly anointed person. And then mm. realizing it was actually all of, all a farce. And then having to go, oh, what do we what do we do with this language now? Like, yeah, that Do you want to sing it with me, Shane? Oh, I don't actually I remember. I actually You're remember it. my
0: remember healer. Come on now. Um, <coughs> sorry, <laughs> shouldn't have been trigger warning on this episode. <laughs> yes. Um, the, actually, I was Yours at a youth. Up, folks, I was you? at a youth camp where that uh, individual was uh, was preaching, and he um, his leg was in a uh, moon boot because he had apparently broken his leg uh, crossing the road with his eyes closed while he was praying. He was so <laughs> lost in the spirit that he'd wandered out into the street and been hit by a car. Well, there's a lot but, of lot of <laughs> conversation we can have about that and what God wasn't wasn't doing. Well, um, what was tremendous was that he hobbled up onto the stage with his moon boot, but he all told he told us all that when the anointing struck, he had be able to throw the moon boot off and march around the stage, which he did. And then, when the anointing lifted, he had to put his moon boot back on again and, and hobble off at the end. Oh, so, in light no of nice. the made-up cancer later on, there's a yes. 99.9% chance the <laughs> left of a broken leg was also a fabrication. Um, but you that know, even so. thinking back to that particular story and that moment, you know, and I, mean, I was playing keys behind him while he was doing this, you know, and, and thinking about at that time in my life what an anointed individual this was, and mm-hmm. I could sense something mm-hmm. and feel something and, and all of this kind of stuff. So, no wonder the stuff gets pretty murky for people, right? Um absolutely. And I guess, you know, this interesting thing about sort of faith in general and spirituality just is in so many ways a matter of interpretation. Mm. It's mm. a way of interpreting reality. And that's not just to say, therefore, we can just interpret it however we like and no. and make up stuff. You know, I'm not not
1: talking about that.
0: But there or, is Or to say like, that
1: everyone who has an experience is just Interpreting it wrongly and making it up exactly—it's right? like yeah. it's like all of that together, right? You, yeah, yeah. It
0: doesn't mean we can just make up whatever we want and, and pretend the anointing is coming upon us to rip our fake moon mood off. Mm. Um, but also people's interpretation of their own experience is pretty hard to interrogate in, in lots of yeah. ways, and yeah. and to try and um, name for others what their experience is is also pretty arrogant and and mm. there's 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 problems with with that as well right mm. uh, and i just think there's so there's always this element when we're talking about like the subjective interior experience of somebody yeah. that is that is always going to end up being difficult to define to talk about with any kind of modern objective yeah you know a, analysis mm. and yet mm. um talking about it is still so important because it's yeah, it still so yeah. fundamental to like the human experience for most humans in human yeah. history. Yeah, you know, and that's,
1: well. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that that's actually one of the things I ended up thinking about after this episode is 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 that um, yeah, the the, the, the sense of you know us being in modern times with particular like scientific lenses and resources at our disposal. Trying to speak on behalf of, um, you know, when when you hear people trying to speak on behalf of all of human history and discount all of people's experiences based on our very particular um, location in history, I think that's I think that can be really arrogant. Um, mm. And so perhaps approaching this conversation at the very least with a kind of sense of kindness and generosity you know, held alongside our suspicion and, you know, curious natures um, that we can hold both of those things together. And that's, that's probably a really important stance to take.
0: I was having a conversation with um, our four-year-old Rufus the other day. Our, as in my partner and mine not, as in yours and I. We, the two of yeah, us no, do that's another child That's together. another kid
1: altogether, yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, and, and he was lying in bed uh, getting ready to go to sleep and he had been – he's been learning about some of the – um the Maori uh, creation stories uh, and stuff like that and so he was reflecting on how um when uh, Ranginui the sky father and Papatuānuku the, the the earth mother were separated um, and how the tears of Ranginui were like were, were what caused the rain right and so he told me that that's what he thought because he's <laughs> he said to me he was asking me what I thought about god and i was hmm. like or, or gods or whatever and i hmm. said i thought I see lots of people have got lots of different ideas, but like I, I, I wonder whether there's a God who holds the whole universe together in love. I think I described it, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, oh, I think there's loads of gods. <laughs> 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 and uh, anyway, so it was all part of this conversation. And and then so he commented about how the rain was the tears of of, um, of one of the gods. And then he paused and then he went, but also... Moist air rises when it gets warmer and then it forms clouds and then that's what makes it rain. Hey, Dad. <laughs> and I, it was so interesting. Are like interesting he, me as Dad the scientist or Dad the theologian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so interesting and watching him at, already yeah. at like four trying to piece together like a um, – maybe coherent. a mystical kind mm. of way of understanding reality with this scientific way of understanding reality and trying to figure mm. out if there's a coherent way to hold all of that together. And I was like, well, that's mm. just kind of what we're all just always doing, aren't we? Mm. Um, mm. And, and you know, that's its own um, interesting way of interpreting reality that we all have to wrestle with.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another of the things I ended up thinking about was um, j- just how much weight this conversation carries for various people, even kind mm. of in the feedback that we've got. Um yeah, like this is like like so many areas of spirituality, um, particularly for some, for some people, this is kind of a shrug your shoulders. You know, I had experiences. I didn't. It's never been a very big deal for me. Um, and for other people, just being profoundly formative, both positively and negatively. Mm. And um, one of the things I just think about in, in that is just about how the stakes are just higher for some people. Than others as well, depending on what meaning was given. For some people, experience has been this kind of like bonus to a relationship with God slash a Christian upbringing slash whatever it, whatever church background they have, uh, where it's all good and true and worthy and worthwhile. Despite that, like you know, whether you're having these experiences or not, and therefore other people, this is the very centre of what faith is and mm. therefore if you're missing out on it um, you're really missing out on validation and approval and the central mm. experience of what it is to be with God and a person of faith mm. um, and then even kind of what else we kind of we, we carry into it and that for some people I think um, the stakes are really high because this is filling a need that isn't being fulfilled elsewhere uh, mm-hmm. for people who have a profound sense of a a need for some kind of unconditional love because they aren't receiving that in other places and other spaces or or don't feel that that's been offered to them, the stakes are really high for, in in this conversation, uh, because that's an incredibly meaningful thing. Yeah, for other people, they are in a container where, um, you know, whether that be relational or otherwise, where they feel secure in their place in the world, where they have other, Um, places where they receive this kind of affirmation and acceptance and love where experiences or lack of them, you kind of talked last time about your conversations with your parents on the way home in the car where you were feeling a particular way and they were able to kind of narrate that for you and like diminish the authority that some people had Mm. to help you feel, to to adjust and feel secure again, uh, despite your lack of experience. Mm. For people who don't have that container to return to, um, the stakes of this stuff can be really high and the mark can last a long time. Like
0: Yeah, and it sort of mixed in with all of that perhaps is something that probably see a lot in kind of I don't know what quite to call these spaces where we're all having these conversations, but I guess deconstruction has been like a word that that gets used mm. a lot. Um but like a lot of the people for whom this has yet. Yeah, been the hardest are the people who cared about it the most.
1: Absolutely, yeah,
0: and um, and that's very counter to often the narrative that comes from those who <laughs> remain in, inside. It's often yeah. the people who have lost their way are the ones who who didn't care and yeah, and you know just wanted to go and sin or something. I don't know whatever yeah. it was. But so often, and I think this is very similar, it's often the people, yeah, for whom it matters most, for whom they mm. care about it most, or they take it the most seriously, or they actually believe the things they're being told mm. um, wholeheartedly, those are the ones who often end up having the hardest time kind of unpacking it or processing yeah. it, or yeah. the ones who maybe experience more trauma um, mm. in, that, in that process because, um, the, yeah, the stakes are, are so much higher.
1: Mm. And especially because, you know, we, <laughs> neither of us are trauma experts, but, um, you know, common wisdom on trauma is that trauma isn't actually the event itself. It's the what lies in the wake of the event itself. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. how it has been narrated, how it's been processed in your body, how you've mm-hmm. understood those things, how you've been supported through whatever mm-hmm. event that might have caused the trauma. The, the event is one thing, but the, the, the trauma really is a result of what has happened, you know, post the event.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, a preacher can go along and try and push two people over and one of them goes, well, that was hilarious. And the other person <laughs> is like, is really hurt in lots yeah. of ways by that. Yeah. And one of those responses is not better or more appropriate mm. than the other. Mm. They're just different and they just are yeah. what they are. Yeah. But it can be sometimes that the people who feel really wounded and hurt or traumatized in those experiences feel then the shame of not being strong enough to yeah. handle stuff, you know, the way that yeah, they're apparently sure. they're supposed to. Um, One of the other, maybe the last thing before we've got a couple of particular things we want to talk about today, Um, but the last thing it had all made me think about was um, this idea of spiritual bypassing, which is a term I've only really come across in the last year or so, but I Mm. I find it quite an interesting one. This idea that the ways in which our spirituality or our faith in various forms can help us um, avoid dealing with things. Um, (laughs) And... (laughs) Now, that's not to say that spirituality and faith doesn't help us deal with stuff when when it's healthy. Um yes. It certainly can do, and it has at times for me. But but also the ways in which, in particular, I was thinking about experience in relation to spiritual bypassing and how often in the kind of spirituality and, and church environment that I was in when I was younger, um, how experience was the kind of the thing that was going to fix the, problem yeah. or heal the the illness or change my personality <laughs> or give yeah. me the gift that I needed, you know, mm-hmm. um, and give me the superpower that I needed to do the thing I wanted to do or, yeah. or whatever it might've been. And that's kind of an interesting thing. Just like just recognizing the ways in which um, maybe someone who has a, just a complicated set of stuff going on, like it's hard work to like pick your way through, complicated, interrelated, internal, mm. external things that give rise to the challenges you might face in a particular area of your life and social awkwardness or um, feelings of inferiority or I don't know, all sorts of different things, anxiety, mm. different stuff that can be going on for you and like um, just how maybe alluring in many respects, the idea that I could go up and have someone pray for me that mm. would change this Situation for me, yeah, yeah. Like, there's something very kind of mm. potent about that idea. Something very alluring mm. about about the, that possibility versus facing sort of 15 years of working through all of that
1: myself. Yeah, um, but, but I think it also speaks to where the, what how you how you interpret the source of the struggles that you're facing. Um, I remember a very particular phase of my life where I would, in hindsight, 20 years on, say. I was approaching a breakdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was having massive anxiety attacks. I, um, yeah, was was struggling hugely with mental health in a time where there was very little discussion of mental health in the kind of spaces that I moved in. Um, and it was overtaking my life in really crippling ways in ways which I was really struggling to kind of function day to day. And this is happening over a long period of time. And these anxiety attacks were completely Overwhelming, um, and because my lens at the time was this is a this is a spiritual attack, mm-hmm. um, what I needed was some kind of healing, some kind of breakthrough, mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. kind of protection, some kind of, and so the tools I had at my disposal were persistent prayer and worship moments and all of these things. And And so it wasn't even about whether I was willing to do the work or not. It's that my interpretation of the source of these things, which, you know, when I look back at that context were a very complex blend of (laughs) factors in my life, mostly relational, some Mm. burnout, you know, some, Mm. you know, other stuff that were probably contributing to what was a very circumstantial mental health crisis um, as in kind of fed by the circumstances I was in and my my narrating of that was a spiritual um, problem needs a spiritual solution and so mm. I wouldn't even begin to know how to unpick some right, of the yeah, actual yeah, sure. contributing factors to that yeah. at the time and so yeah like experience very quickly became the, the kind of only tool in my toolkit yeah um, yeah yeah
0: What's interesting there, perhaps, is that like if we think about it through the lens of spiritual bypassing, it's actually it's not just the experience, it's the the cause that is a part mm. of that spiritual bypassing. Yes, um yeah, so that, yeah, it's not just that you're you're facing this thing, and then yeah, the experience will fix it, but actually, like mm. you say, you're actually not aware of what the thing itself. Is. that's right I, I wanted bypass that
1: whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I wanted to be healed from anxiety. But what my body actually needed was healthier relationships, better boundaries, a re-understanding of my form of faith, a God that I could actually like look at honestly and love. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, like there's like Mm. like all the Mm. compounding factors, you know, like Mm. less job pressure, (laughs) all of those things. Yeah, a better relationship with my body. Um, Mm. Yeah,
0: maybe just getting. Refamiliarizing yourself with the the intensity of hell, as well, like as a way of just shocking you back into um, exactly (laughs) yeah into where you need to be.
1: It was a strong motivator. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Um, Thanks for sharing that. Actually, that's that's helpful. Um, Okay, there's a couple of things we want to talk about then more specifically in this conversation, and we'll see how we go, and we'll see (laughs) if in any way they form two distinct categories. Uh, we will leave that up to your judgment. <laughs> shifties. Shifties out there can decide. Uh, I mean, I'm i st- I'm still working on my organic uh yeah, usage of that. Yeah, that was that was a bit forced that time. Uh, I'll work on that. Um Yeah, we'll we'll leave it up to people to decide if these really are two um clear and distinct points or whether this is gonna be one long ramble. Waffle. Yeah. Et cetera. Um, but we wanted to talk a bit about just this idea of like our personalities and the role that our, that our personality, what kinds of people we are, like mm. plays in the ways in which we might or might not have certain experiences or respond to different environments uh, and so on. And um, perhaps is mm. a way of framing that up, even just the idea of like whether we've got a suggestive or a non-suggestive <laughs> personality mm. um, and the impact yeah. that that can uh, have, uh,
1: right? Yeah. And I guess I'd add to that, like, like, like I don't kind of see personality as being fixed necessarily. I think there's lots of factors in terms of life stages and experiences and maturity levels and, you know, you know, that we are constantly shaped and are reshaping ourselves. Um, Mm. Yeah. But I think that, you know, if we're kind of talking about at a particular time and at a particular moment, um, there's this idea of kind of suggestibility that, and, and they use this with kind of hypnosis and persuasion and all kinds of things where they they, they can kind of like measure metrics of suge- su- people's suggestibility at a particular time and place, which is basically your openness to being persuaded um, mm-hmm. by particular authority figures, particular experiences, um, you know, derived authority, like all of this kind of stuff where uh, you are open to accepting either a directive or being suggested that um, you are having a particular experience and then going along with that um, yeah different people at different places and stages are open to things in different ways um, which sounds really obvious when you say it out loud um, but I was thinking about again going back to kind of the Mark Finnell experience in that um, you know in that church as a young person, Wanting an experience with God, feeling profoundly rejected, and just going—there are myriad reasons you could explain why a person wouldn't have that experience. One of them could just be that they are a naturally suspicious person, for, yeah. be, for better or worse, yeah. um, and and weren't weren't willing to give themselves over into that space, whether God was in it or not. Like, just mm-hmm. put that aside. Um, let's say. God was in it and let's say God wasn't you can look at it from both angles and say will you have the same experience as other people in the room that you've been invited into or not one of the reasons why you might not have that is just because you have your guard up because your instincts and your gut say this is not a safe place I'm not giving myself over to Mm. this person to this environment to this space Um, and therefore some part of you is closed off to the possibility of experiencing the same thing as others in that space.
0: Yeah, and that's really interesting, isn't it? Because in, in some respects, there can be, again, all sorts of reasons for that too. Mm. Um, sometimes it's because people are more cynical or detached and are mm-hmm. suspicious. Sometimes yeah. it's their desire for a genuine and authentic experience that makes them suspicious of anything that feels manipulated or, or pressured forced. as yep. well, right? Or forced. Uh, and both of those things can have the same kind of impact on on you. And again, this is this is not the assumption here is not that experiencing something in that room at that time, let's say, in a, in a is the the desired objective, right? So mm. we're not saying mm. that that experience is what everybody ultimately we want everybody to have that particular experience. It's more a commentary on on why it is that some people within those spaces will have certain kinds of experiences and other people. Um, may yeah.
1: not have those kinds yeah. of experiences, yeah. Um, and so, in in kind of Pentecostal spaces, the, the environment that you and I have come from, mm. a lot of the the kind of invitation into these experiences requires you just have to give yourself over to some degree. Mm. You are mm. opening yourself to God. You are opening yourself to the experience. You are invited to kind of get your head out of the way. Um, oh yes, To not yes. over not to pesky, not over pesky th- thoughts. Pesky thoughts, yeah, to block out all distractions. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. To like, all, like all of those invitations. Now, again, even that stuff there, you can look at that really, really cynically, and you yeah. can look at that really, really positively. So, if you relate it to another experience, like. Um, you know, an, an encounter with a lover, like, you know, or, you know, even just being in the presence of someone and experiencing them as a person. If you are looking on your phone, if you're standing with your arms crossed, <laughs> if someone's, you know, if, 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 if someone wants to give you a hug, um, <laughs> you know, and your head is in some other place, like those things, Look, like, like with all of this stuff, it's <laughs> like there are power there are parallels to other um, forms of opening ourselves to mm, particular mm. experiences here that ma- it's not necessarily good or bad. Um, and the fact that someone wants you to have a particular experience isn't necessarily good or bad mm. either. but all of these factors kind of can potentially play into our experience of the same thing, which can explain why people experience these things really, really differently.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just think about the idea of like, I don't know, seeking a moment of intimacy with your partner and they gently touch your arm. You're like, are you manipulating me? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> yeah. So You're stuff- trying to make me
1: feel something, <laughs> aren't you? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when it comes to kind of suggestibility, like let's let's just kind of look, look at suggestibility as an idea of how suggestible you are to particular things. And obviously, depending on what it is, it'll change. But let's look at, yeah, like your your openness to um, suggested experiences and stuff like that, that's neither positive nor negative. It's really, mm. There's really, mm. there's times where being a bit more closed, a bit more cynical, thinking things through, being rational about it, um, you know, closing yourself off to bodily prompts, you know, looking for a lens through which to interpret bodily inf- like the information your body's feeding you that that's actually really healthy like you are less prone to be swept away by a cult leader um you're less likely <laughs> yeah. to you're lo- less likely to get scammed um <laughs> yeah you know, there's lots there's lots of ways in which that's actually a really healthy and helpful thing at the same time if if you are absolutely non-suggestible <laughs> and non-persuaded by anything and are completely closed off to the world then then you then you lose something in that and that too, mm, and that you're mm. not able to give yourself. If, if you are so suspicious of everyone and everything, um, you do you do miss out on stuff. Mm, mm.
0: It's interesting thing about like my own journey in relation to like thinking about suggestibility as a lens to like mm. narrate my own story. You know, and mm. and I think about like being a maybe a sixteen, seventeen year old who was very desirous at that time of a particular kind of radical experience. And I was reading, you know, books designed for young people like me who were passionate for God. And, mm. and there was this thing happening in the nineteen motifs. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and some book by a guy called Tommy Tenney, God Chasers, oh, that guy, I think was it God yeah, Chasers? That guy. Came and he had to some story about. Did he really?
1: And took he, everyone's money after oh, being blacklisted by the AOG in America for being a charlatan. <laughs>
0: not really, I just yeah. remember there's a story in his book. Uh, it's a very vague now. I wouldn't have read it since I was maybe 16, where he like gets up to pray and like the the I don't know the pulpit like breaks in half or so. I can't remember exactly the specifics yeah. of it anyway. But <laughs> so I was kind of captured by all of this very dramatic experiential stuff, and mm. you know, and. And there was the stuff going on at that time that was very experiential. If you're from the '90s, there's like things like, um, okay, this is very in language here: the Toronto Blessing mm. and the, uh, the Pensacola Revival. Uh, mm. There were these, there were these revivalist movements happening often in North America um, with all sorts of fantastical experiential stuff going on. That then everybody was trying to sort of spread around the place, and and so that was, you know, I was I was desirous of that. I was still looking for something authentic, so that probably limited. Yep me being hyper suggestible, which is probably why I didn't fall over when, when all the people mm. when all the other people were. Um but at the same time I was intensely kind of looking for a particular kind of experience. And so I was feeling things at particular times. Mm. And then I went through this phase where like a good friend of mine who had been kind of on that journey with me of also and he was kind of more into that than I was, um, ended up having to go away and kind of be in in a mental health facility because his mental health kind of spun Mm. out. And um, another guy who was in the church at that time who was also kind of the mentor of that kind of spirituality um, turned out to be a less than ideal character. (laughs) And so then I went through this phase of being like really closed down to anything like that. Uh, and then I remember having to kind of work through that a few years later now that I'd left home and I'd moved away and I'd come to this big city kind of Pentecostal church and mm. I realized that um, that there was um, a part of me that was closed off that I now needed to learn how to open back up Again, yeah. and yeah. so then going through this yeah. phase of trying to kind of break down my suspicion and and become more suggestible again, essentially, which I ultimately kind of did successfully. Yeah. 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 And then and 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 then um, uh, and then and then not <laughs> again. <Yeah. laughs> you know, a few years down the track, being like, wait a second, yeah, uh, and and then becoming very cynical and suspicious um, yeah. again. And it's like, it's just it's funny to think about my own journey in terms of how suggestible and for what reasons I was like suggestible or not suggestible at different times and how my experience really tracked like with that suggestibility in terms of mm. like how open or not, perhaps we could use that language too. Yeah. And, you know, again, people could be like, oh, yeah, see, that's why if you're open to God, that's why you have the experience. Exactly, um, yeah. and And that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah. And yet there's, there's, again, more nuance going on than yeah. that. Yep. And, and look
1: yeah. I, th- I think where the real where the real harm perhaps kicks in is for people who desperately want an experience and want to be open to an experience yet don't experience that um in ways they don't understand so say someone is going into that experience with particular kinds of relational trauma which means that their body is closed off in particular ways to those kinds of experiences, yet what they desire and want is to feel God's love and have that immersive experience, then the damage I think is done with how that how that is narrated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what happens so often is I think um, that we get, that, 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 using experience for too many things here. <laughs> um, but, but I can't think of another word, but that, that, that experience of wanting something but not feeling it is narrated for us as being down, down to us. Um, so the problem becomes internalized. It's because you are sinful. It's because you don't want it badly enough. It's because, um, you know that you're just not entering in, or you haven't pushed for your breakthrough, or whatever it is, and that's where I think the real harm is done for lots of people. Is that mm. the only way? The only way they can narrate it for themselves and accept is not my body is having quite rational or quite um, safe and helpful responses to the possibility of getting hurt. Um, and therefore, is closing me down to this stuff, and I can see that and acknowledge it. Instead, it has to be: there's something wrong with me, or God doesn't love me. And mm. yeah, I think that's I think that's where this moves beyond just eh, I had an experience or I didn't, mm. and becomes a this is actually this is actually something that's stuck with me, yeah, mm. in a harmful uh, um, way.
0: And part of that narrating is, which I think we talked a bit about last time, um, is this idea that there is one particular, even if it's given lots of sort of different language and even if people would probably deny this if you ask them flat out hmm. um, most of the time, not always. But the narration is that there is one kind of experience that is hmm. the God kind of experience yeah, as well. And yep. so if you are unable for all sorts of reasons or just, yeah, you are like that particular kind of experience you're not open to or feels unsafe to you or mm. simply doesn't resonate for you, or doesn't mm-hmm. connect in all sorts of ways for you. Mm. Therefore, you're not able to experience God, um, rather yeah. than be there being this big, broad, diverse range of ways in which we understand what experiencing God even is in the first yep. place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And so yeah. the one channel that for you is not particularly accessible for all sorts of quite valid reasons. Mm. Um. Can can then yeah feel. It becomes harmful because you're shut off from God. Then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know the portal Ex- exactly. has been
0: closed between you and God. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. and what does that
1: mean for your life? Yeah. 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 Um, if you can't experience God's love, which is channeled through this particular way, then mm. you aren't experiencing God's love. Yes, like yes. You know, God's yep. love can't be <laughs> all kinds of other gifts, and all mm. kinds of other experiences, and all kinds of other provisions. It has to be this th- this one thing. Yeah. I think
0: there's this thing too to like. Giving over. I'm thinking about like my own suggestibility again. <laughs> um mm-hmm. but uh thinking about like how I think about it now, like going back to the kind of isn't that person anointed, that song leader or that songwriter or isn't that piano player because I used to be a very anointed keys player, Shane. You,
1: you still um, are um, I could
0: I, I could play the keys and make people feel things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and it's so <laughs> it's so interesting thinking about that now, isn't it? Um the like how I think about it now is not either or in the sense that I don't think playing that song has an effect on people because it's a particularly, it's got the, the Holy Spirit's Sparkle dust sprinkle, of anointing sprinkled <laughs> upon it, because the songwriter happened to be very pure and yes. um and probably not masturbating, knowing our uh, if they were if they were a young guy. Well, hopefully not uh,
1: masturbating while
0: they're songwriting. <laughs> hopefully not. It sounds very sticky. But you know the the sort of the emphasis on like purity, the, the need yeah. for that for yeah. the anointing to flow and all yeah. that kind of you know all those all those kind of rules about that kind of stuff. Um, so rather than like that song's really anointed, it's like or that chord or that. Mm keys player or whatever, or that moment in the service where, oh, can't
1: you just feel the presence right now? Um, that actually- I think you're missing prophetic drumming, Michael. <laughs> prophetic do you mean pro, prophetic, prophetic, oh. prophetic drum solos? Yes. Yeah. Would do you,
0: you know, that? The, the, in the last episode, I talked about going to the youth meeting and all the people falling down except for yes. me. Um, the, the speaker at that was a guy called Jeff Beecham, who was a, an Australian um, Pentecostal sort of an preacher. And he started his talk with a prophetic drum solo. <laughs> Which is basically show off time. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I can drum it real was, good. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. What was I saying? Something powerful. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. So, so like instead of being like, oh, that E minor chord is so anointed or mm. you're manipulating with me that, with that E minor chord, yeah. I'm now in a place where I feel like I'm able to say that E minor chord is a beautiful chord. Yes, and that makes me feel a certain kind of way in this mm. moment, and that can be a way in which I may or may yeah. not feel a sense of closeness or experience of God. It a- doesn't and, make the mind we, more we'll, anointed we'll get- or less
1: anointed or whatever, right? Yeah, but well, we'll maybe kind of. I mean, I. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't. I don't want to skip it here because there's a couple more things I want to talk about. But we yeah. will kind of talk about God's God's participation with the world. Mm, mm. Like, if one of the ways in which you know, if if we have this view of God in which God participates in the world through goodness and kindness and beauty and love, that there is something about you know, there's a possibility that through the particular arrangements of things that God is presence in that kind of. Beauty and that kind of mm, goodness, sure. and that kind yep. of intent, and mm-hmm. that kind of—you know—like I, I think we don't have to exclude that. I think it genuinely, Like, could could we say that God's activity is in the craft of beautiful songwriting and of?
0: Oh yeah, and, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. no.
0: I, I'd want to say I'd want to say yes to that. I guess um, we're saying the same thing. I think probably, which is that God can be in that without that meaning that there is something kind of magical about yeah. the person who wrote that song and, and what kind of yeah. but actually that, that's what that's what beauty does for us it, it is beauty right. beauty yeah. is a way to access yeah. um yeah. experience yeah um, again, which makes been, you think
1: about the poor songwriters torturing themselves for an anointed <laughs> for anointed <laughs> I like mean, the creative process is hard enough without like torturing yourself trying to get in you know the right kind of anointing for Write a song.
0: Yeah, am I am I praying enough? Am I pure enough? Am I devoted yeah. enough? Your public platform is only ever as powerful as your private <laughs> something, I can't remember, prayer or something. I don't
1: something, know. I mean, was. I remember watching a, a kind of preacher at our church just, just torture himself after a service because not many people responded and him kind of, you know, rending his garments about how he, there must be some sin in him that, you know, That God didn't show up in this particular way. Mm, And he felt mm. He just looked like a really tortured soul trying to negotiate this, you know, trying to trying to narrate this experience of not the meeting not working out like he wanted it to. Mm -hmm. And being kind enough not to blame all of us because of all of our sin. sin <laughs> and going, it must be in me that right, God didn't show right. up because I hadn't got something right. And maybe, you know, it's just like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just think about the emotional heaviness of those times. Like it's so exhausting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's so much, isn't there? There's so much intensity and kind of um desperation. And desperation was one of the ways you opened yourself. Ah, yes. In that sense. It, yeah. So like how desperate yeah. you were, how expectant mm. you were. I'm
1: desperate um, for you.
0: <laughs> oh, now you're singing. Well, we've yeah. made a real breakthrough in here. The- <laughs> um Yeah, like or, or that sense of like just your, the intensity of your emotional mm. desire mm. had to be kind of ratcheted up to, to get to the point where God would. Yeah. Um, offer something back because that was kind of what God wants from you. God wants you to be desperate. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. yeah, and so that whole notion itself is like a really interesting kind of idea and just yeah. exhausting to think about now. Just so, like I feel so tired thinking oh. about, <laughs> thinking that, about that's how, the main how thing desperate I, remember from I used to have my to life. Try,
1: yeah, right. Emotional yeah. exhaustion. Yeah. 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 But it also kind of links into something we might talk about in another episode, but about, and kind of references your story before about your friend who had, you know, who who had a, had a psychotic episode mm. or a mental breakdown, mm. a, a breakdown of some kind. Um, that, that's actually a really common experience. And the, mm. the kinds of people who end up being the really prophetic one, the super intense ones, the ones with the kind of like crazy, crazy look in their eyes who can, who are desperate for God and who can, Pray for extraordinary amounts of time, and who can get up? Very, you know that kind of. I want to be really careful because this is dangerous territory, and this is not my area of expertise. And yeah, like I, I think, just want to walk carefully with this one. Um, but my anecdotal experience, and some that I've some some stuff I've heard from experts in this field, is that there there are yeah particular. Kinds of personalities which are prone to psychosis and are prone mm. to, um, yeah, th- those kinds of expressions that also have a. They're often the kinds of people that are really are really into this. <laughs> are into this yeah. stuff? Yeah, are into those much more extreme experiential who are able to give themselves over in ways that other people can't. Um, who. Are perhaps less cognizant of their emotional reserves, mm-hmm. um, mm. and yeah, in our experience in our youth group, yeah, the, the, often the, you know some of the people that were the most into this high, hyper prophetic kind of super experiential stuff mm. later on in life had had, yeah, real real complexity with their mental health.
0: Yeah, and I can even like looking back now and again, yeah, treading carefully through this and not wanting to make.
1: Kind of universal,
0: no diagnoses or like just universalized kind of statements that that aren't Mm. true. I can speak about my own experience though, which is Mm. that I can look back now and see that I think if I had kept pushing on certain trajectories and maybe if I'd been, you know, because for all my, the sort of the, the um, critiquing of the megachurch we've done over the last couple of years, Mm. it it didn't want to be, because the megachurch was so interested in being marketable, it didn't want to be too crazy. So it probably, Mm. um, it was a, it was a, (laughs) a, a boundary probably to how kind of intense yeah, weird, and excessive I got, got yeah. how weird things got. Yeah. But I do remember, yeah, anyway. I, I remember going away on like a sort of some kind of prayer retreat by myself where I sort of was trying to, you know, cut, trying to work up that level of desperation and hunger and, and so on and kind of not seeing anybody and fasting and and praying in a certain kind of way for extended periods of time and by the end of those days away by myself, even then recognizing that it got me to a pretty weird place, mm. um, which mm. at the time I kind of interpreted it as being quite in tune. Yeah. Uh, and now I look back and just think I can still remember some of those feelings and be like, hey, yeah, that the, if I'd have done too much of that, I could see so how that could have <laughs> yeah. could have made me pretty yeah. unstable as a person. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's yeah, Um yeah. There's a, I think, another thing maybe to reflect on um, before we jump onto the next thing is like that sense that we, we just all of us as we're thinking about like suggestibility and uh, the way we're wired and how we respond is that we just react to different situations differently mm. from each other. Yeah. And again, yeah. that's partly due to maybe our past, the, the story to this point of our, of mm. our lives mm. and the way our personality happens to be configured and or where it's up to at the moment and it's in its kind of evolution. um, The way kind of our intuition has been shaped. um, All that kind of stuff. Right. Which might mean that we actually just, we just do react to different situations differently to one another. And so again, that like normalizing one particular or universalizing one particular kind of experience as normative Mm. kind of, creates such havoc for people, I think, because yeah. we all just do react to different things <laughs> differently from one
1: another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one example of that is, you know, if if you were to take the same person and take them into a Pentecostal space um, and then take them into a kind of like new agey, kind of like hippie style spirituality space, that person would have very different reactions depending on what their background and what they're being warned against and what their kind of intuitive of gut feel. But guts guts are trained too. Intuition is trained as mm. well. Um, but yeah, like you might walk into, I mean, I, I still think of it described last time about, you know, coming from Baptist land, walking into a Pentecostal space, feeling very, very suspicious and cynical towards it and feeling nothing in that space. And then two years later, being completely immersed in that and hungering after more and more of it and being very annoyed and looking very cynically at the Baptists for, you know, how dry they all were <laughs> um, and, you know, too much time thinking about things when they should be, you know, experiencing God like us. And then, you know, down the road a few years after that, being very suspicious, you know, having <laughs> spent too much time in green rooms and <laughs> watching how people manipulated people and then feeling very suspicious. Same context, exactly the same. And at three various stages of my life, feeling very differently about them and therefore having very different experiences of them. Um And it would have been the same in kind of like, you know, let's say a a new agey kind of space, you know, at different stages of my life, feeling at different levels of openness and probably having very different experiences in those spaces.
0: Like, yeah, I was thinking about my, um, (laughs) like my experience of, like a number of years ago, when I was young, when I moved to Auckland, uh, out of, you know, again, small church to big church, like the experience of a big stage Excellent musicians, mm-hmm. lights—I don't know, probably smoke machines or whatever it was back then—was like, wow, this is amazing, and that opened me up. Right? Yeah. Now, like, because I ex- experience um, coercion and manipulation and pressure and and all sorts of abuse of power in spaces that used those things, mm. and saw the way they could be used as a part of that package. Mm time I'm in any kind of like I don't mind if I go to a concert like abs like you know I go <laughs> and, I, go, thing, right? <laughs> I go and see I don't know whoever play and there's lights and smoke machines and and big screens and excellent musicians and I think this is amazing <laughs> but if I go into any kind of church space that even sniffs of something like that I just yeah. about have a heart attack yeah um, and yeah so so same things very yeah. different reaction to those things based on my own kind of experience. Yeah. And, you know, some um so I um, you know, something that's more organic and I don't know, yeah. whatever, you know, low low production yeah. spec um yeah. is gonna make me feel much more comfortable. It doesn't mean it's actually better than than the other in terms of it's not any more or less spiritual. No. Uh, it's just And it says uh, very little necessarily about the people involved as well. Yeah. Like Yeah you yeah. know. Yeah. I, I would, it's probably true that in volunteer spaces it it's hard oh, to yes. do that level of high production without <laughs> just ruining some people's lives but um let's but that's kind of a, M, that's another point let's just leave that yep. point aside and just talk about the experience itself yeah let's um, assume they're
1: all being paid really well <laughs> being given breaks and are there uh, of their own volition uh
0: yeah okay so so um that's we'd want to talk about that and then the other thing we want to talk yep. about I guess is how God is implicated in all of this conversation as well for people, Uh, Mm -hmm. which we're Mm -hmm. probably hinting and nudging at all the the way through all of these conversations because we're talking about experiencing God. But, um, you know, coming back to Mark Fennell's experience of like, does this mean that God isn't real or that these people are faking it or that God doesn't want, God is holding out on me for some reason? All, All of this relates to what we think about God and what our experience or lack of experience means about God and what God is like and what God is doing or not doing, or holding yeah. out on us or not holding out yeah. on us, a level of desperation and how much that's causing God to decide to give us some some feelings or not, you know, like all of yeah. that. Kind of stuff, well, right? and
1: so much of the stuff comes back to stuff we've talked about before, but essentially to say, if God were a person, <laughs> if God were a person you're in a relationship with, uh Would the God you're envisaging be a good person? Um, I still think about a 12-year-old person who is in desperate need of some kind of unconditional love and an experience of that, who desperately wants that experience and is asking for that, And what kind of God, for what reasons, would choose to withhold that experience? You know, if a child is saying, can I have a hug? I need some love. I want some affirmation. And a parent is going, you're not desperate enough for it. (laughs) You don't need it enough. Um, Then there's something wrong with that parent. And I think we should have standards for god that are at least as high as we'd have for regular people.
0: <laughs> That's my hot take. Yeah, it's um and there are lots of ways kind of to get around that sort of do kind of somersaults yeah. and backflips logically to yeah. sort of say well, you know, god no god's ways are higher. I don't know it's always the get out of jail yep. free, isn't it? Um yep. Or all sorts of all sorts of different ways to try and say what God is trying to do here, and it's not up mm. to us to question. And but yeah. I, whereas I would say it is very much up to us to
1: question it's, <laughs> it a, teach. it's a huge But you're part considering of whether you want a relationship with this being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Um,
0: <laughs> and and yeah, just this notion. Uh, and I, I think about sort of, and we've talked about this, I've talked about this with, with um, various people on the podcast before, but like this notion of like what we're even thinking about when we think about sort of where God is or how God Mm. interacts with the world. And Mm. if God is kind of just sort of up there hovering around, watching everything, just sort of deciding, yeah, outside of the world, deciding when to intervene or not, when to um, get involved or not, when to make a person feel something or not. And that basically our experience is simply the result of God's choices to do that or not. Um, then that sets up a, for me a very problematic. I mean, that that's just going to cause all of the kinds of problems that we t- mm. we start
1: to see mm. in terms of these frameworks. Um, and and, and then, it kind of put, puts us in a position. Like, so, so you, you look at a person in with spiritual authority, like you look at a person, a worship leader, or a pastor, or whatever it is, because we are meaning-making creatures, we have to come up with reasons for why God might not be doing this. If we believe that God can unilaterally. Come down and interfere and say yes or no to particular experiences in those ways. We then have to make meaning for why God isn't doing that, and so we do. We say it's because of unconfessed sin. It's because you're not desperate enough. It's because you know you need to you need to break through. Um, Yeah, yeah. And and, you know, we like we see this in the Gospels with people saying, you know, is it because is this man not healed because of his sin or his parents' sin? Mm. (laughs) Is this you know which. Which is it and Jesus going, yeah no nah, neither <laughs> neither of those, but mm. because um this person is unwell you know like that's a, that's a whole other conversation to have but mm. we are because we are meaning making creatures we we explain on behalf of God why God is or isn't doing particular yeah. things yeah um and sometimes they're just they're all of God but they're just not very good explanations and the <laughs> explanations which just double down on people's sense of unworthiness yeah of being unlovable of being disconnected yeah or ultimately for lots of people that God just isn't there
0: and they are almost like the inevitable conclusions of that framework of thinking about God yeah because like, if we conceive of God in that way then yeah. we are inevitably left with those questions yeah uh, and either have to appeal to a sort of a God's ways higher God has mysterious plan that's being worked out that we don't know and that's why mm. or or whatever um, yeah, that's the only like, way out. That's the only way out of personal kind of blame and self-loathing. Really, is yes. God's mysterious plan? Yeah, um, yeah. And So, or and so, God's not there. Or God's not there. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, yeah. And Luckily, for only five ninety nine a month, Michael has a alternate version of God. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <pitch exactly>. <laughs> Let me tell you
0: <laughs> who and what God is. Uh, no, uh, don't have the answer to that one but i do i do live with the ongoing sense that there is something meaningful about experience of life and mm. the world and that um god may well be in fact be a, a word for something real mm. um and and it, but if for me if that god is real i don't even know if real is the right word but if the, you know if that god is one to be believed in or related to then I can only conceive of that God is one who is who is in and through all things. Um, you know, this idea of panentheism and this this God who is who is present in and through all things and not standing outside of the system hmm. deciding when and where to sort of intervene. Choosing whether to and, stop a genocide yeah, or not. Yeah. But that God is is at work through love in and through all things. Hmm. Then then that doesn't make all of our questions go away, and it doesn't solve all of our problems. But it's a mm. it's a way of thinking about God that, at least for me, off, offers me some something to work with <laughs> that doesn't yeah. lead me to that place of, and therefore, God isn't real, or God doesn't love me, or God's leaving me out of something, or it's my mm. fault and my sin, and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, you know, I just think this notion of of like what God is like is, is so important. I was reading a um a
1: salvation prayer on, um, on a church website the it's other day. A, it's about bloody time, Michael. <laughs> <I've> been, this <laughs> and, is good because I have been praying for you lately. And I was and just struck right.
0: as I read it, like, again, this comes back to like, what kind of God are we talking about here? And, and all of these things mm. that we've sort of given really spiritual language to that when you, like you say, put it in the terms of a real relationship, mm. suddenly sound really kind of controlling or abusive or just mean. Um, but when you put all the spiritual kind of language on it and say it's about breakthrough or anointing or whatever, you know, whatever language we put around that, <laughs> yeah. then it yeah. sort of it clouds the fact <laughs> that actually it own good. this is yeah. just a thing that's that is quite awful that you're saying yeah. here. Yeah. Um and like this this salvation prayer. I was just I was just reading it, thinking about like what that was would be like in a relationship with with somebody who was who was in control of everything. And it was <laughs> what was it? I've got it, I've got it here. I've got it here. Um, dear Jesus.
1: Are we praying it out loud
0: after you or? Trigger, trigger, please repeat after me. Okay, This is a trigger warning for this one. I'm sorry. Um, But dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've done wrong by living without you. I'm sorry and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace for me and ask that you would be my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day and help me to show the world what you are like and how great your love is. And I'm just kind of struck by like (laughs) these words, which are in some respects so familiar to me. But when read through the lens of like what it would be like to actually say that in relationship Mm. to someone, Mm. um, you know, I've tried to live without you and I'm very sorry. (laughs) I know. I trust you'll forgive me. I'm going to try and tell everybody how loving you are and um, help
1: me to love you every day and (laughs) – even though I can't see you, yeah. I'm sorry for not believing that you're there. <laughs> yeah, um, it just <laughs> kind of clearly a terrible person. Yeah, it,
0: yeah, it's it might seem kind of really innocuous in some respects, but there's just so much about that that is that sets yeah. up this God us relationship, whereby yeah. we are kind of prepared for God to act in these ways that normally we would characterize as controlling or as awful or as mean. Yeah. Um, but to internalize the blame of that into ourselves and to say that's it's yes. my fault my problem i haven't done enough yeah. and so i'm going yeah. to try harder uh, and that yeah. that strikes me as a very unhealthy dynamic in a in any kind of
1: spirituality well there's a threat of violence in there isn't there yeah like yeah. there's a threat of violence of like um, unless i perform in these particular ways something bad will become me and you're in control of that so mm. don't hurt me mm. you know like yeah it's, I'll, it's, I'll be good
0: i'll, I'll be love good. You. i'll i'll love you i'll keep loving you okay so yeah so don't don't send, don't send me to that place.
1: Yeah, yeah, which is which is not good. Um, no, and if you contrast that with the God who is in and through all things, who is constantly inviting all of creation to the most loving possibility, who is always adapting to this kind of concept within process thought of you know the world is arbitrary but God is not that. Bad shit happens all the time. That is the nature of the world. And God is always there trying to repair, trying to call us towards the most loving possibility from whatever happens in the world. Um, That God is always doing all God can to be present, to help us feel loved, to be a place of comfort through bad experiences. Yeah, there's there's a beauty in that that God would see um, our experience of their absence and, grie- and grieve that and mm. might not be able to change that <laughs> about the ways, the signs our bodies are giving and our interpretation of our experience and can't click fingers and make it all better, but will constantly and creatively through all of creation, through others and through the world, try and help us to reach us, to help us feel connected, and to mm. not have to internalise responsibility for mm. that experience, like there's a there's a beauty in that, and yeah, and you know, I th- I feel like the like the
0: the Jesus story in itself is like an invitation to think about, like, so Jesus has this experience of like feeling like God is absent mm. uh, in this moment when Jesus is being, you know, violently executed mm. uh, and cries out this cry of God-forsakenness. And, um, and I don't think, you know, there are some sort of forms of theology I don't like which talk about how God really did abandon Jesus on the cross because he was carrying <laughs> all of our dirty, dirty sins. And look what we did. We made Jesus and, and God... And Jesus and the Father not be able to be together because of our terrible sin and um, that's, that's, that's not my vibe. Uh, but instead that, that Jesus as the one who was like faithful mm. and who did not take up violence and harm as a way of being in the world but instead persisted with love, mm. um, even that Jesus has this experience of, of absence. Mm. Of God not feeling, of not experiencing God, of not feeling Mm. like God was there, of feeling like God had abandoned or left, or um, and and that in itself, to me, is like a a story that says, well, it's a story that that challenges the notion that a feeling of God absence, God's absence, is our fault.
1: Yes, yeah, and it's and it's and it affirms that that's a very human experience. Yes if God has entered fully into our humanity, then God has entered into those experiences where there are the sense of the absence of God, mm. where the where the experience of great failure and great persecution and great violence feels like God isn't present and that mm. God has experienced that and therefore is compassionate towards that and understands that. Mm. Like, And in a way that doesn't mitigate all the other possibilities of the ways that God, of Jesus' other experiences of mm. God, mm. which is of intimacy and of... Mm. Devotion and of care and of all of those things. Like those mm. things can sit side by side. Mm. And it's not because you haven't got the formula right that you're yeah. experiencing or, or either of those things. And it's not necessarily because you've got the formula. Um, yeah, there's, because you're experiencing particular things, it's not necessarily because you've got some or formula right or wrong. Like that those are innate to the human experience and God mm. is in that and with us mm. in those things. Mm. And yeah. so enjoy all the goodness and beauty and connection and experience that you can have and by all means you know struggle with your experiences of a loss of love and a loss of connection and a loss you know and missing out on the experiences that you want grieve that mourn that all of those things are okay Mm. and we shouldn't have to you know shouldn't have to just live in one or the other. Either mm, I should be mm. experiencing good things all the time. And mm-hmm. if I'm not, it's because I'm doing something wrong. Or I'm not going to be open to experiences because that comes with risk. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's
0: I think that's nice. It's nice is probably not the right word. It's um it's real life. Like it and, and I and I I feel like any for want of a better term, theology of like god or of experience has to start with our actual real lived experience yeah of what it is to be human in the world yeah. rather than with some ideal of what we have yes. decided it should yeah. be like to be human in the world yeah and the reality is that life is beautiful and terrible you know like mm. um that life is filled with love and also we experience the absence of love and mm. and that is, humanness, that is the yeah. experience, in fact, of all of life in the universe, mm. as far as we can tell. Um, mm. You know, teaming up. And it also m- or, marks all of our mark. relationships
1: as well. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have I, I, you know, probably talked about this before, but I spent a long time working with really vulnerable young people. And one of the great forming moments of my faith is when I realized that the version of God that I had been taught and raised with and told was true was experienced as profoundly harmful by the vulnerable young people I was working with. And I just could no longer tell them particular things about God that I was raised with because Mm. it wasn't true. (laughs) It wasn't true Mm. and it was harmful. Mm. Um, And again, coming to this, you know, experience, discussion, thinking about a vulnerable young person who really wants to feel connected, I need a version of God that, I can explain um, and be compassionate towards their lack of experience mm. and be okay with that. And I'm not okay with a God that looks at that person and says, you're not desperate enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, or pure enough. Or pure enough. Or, 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 or whatever. whatever it is. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, can't, I can't do that anymore. I need mm. a, a version of God and what is true and authentic to me And I think to the Christian tradition is a version of God that wants that young person to feel love, and it might not be that might not be able to happen in the way in that moment in the way that the young person wants, but there are a multitude of ways in which God's God holds us and loves us and is compassionate towards us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we must be getting near the end of the podcast because we're talking much more quietly now. We're talking quietly and and and
0: empathetically and seriously now. So we're obviously um,
1: our oh, cynicism's dropped
0: away. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's um, that's beautiful. I think that's a good place to finish. Uh, thanks, Shane. Thank you. We'll uh, talk again. Indeed. So there we go, my conversation with Shamaya Holt, the second in our uh, series of conversations on experience. And we'll be back in some form bringing you more conversations soon. Thanks as always to Reese Michel for his amazing work and taking the audio that we give him and turning it into something listenable in your ears. Until next time.